Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here, and I am talking to Anne-Marie Bellella, and, uh, Anne-Marie, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody listening? Sure. Hi, thanks for having me, too. Um, I'm Anne-Marie. I'm also known as the Forager Chick, and I am in Monroe, Georgia. I live on a farm with my husband, and I'm a forager, an herbalist, crazy mushroom person, and I teach homesteaders and preppers how to identify wild foods and how to use it for food and medicine. So I love what I do. It's my full-time job. And yeah, I just love sharing everything there is about foraging. And if I'm not on the computer, I'm out in the woods. (laughs) So I love everything about that. And all of those things intrigue me. I'm not so much the prepper type, but I've always been, I I don't want to say like Boy Scout, but always prepared. Like think of, you know, the unforeseen or just put Murphy's law into effect because you know, chances are something is going to happen and just being prepared for that. Um, Even in like my hunting aspects, I always try and keep certain first aid items readily available and with me and always want to educate others on stopping the bleed. I mean, let's face it, as hunters, we do play with sharp pointy sticks and things that go boom and put holes in things. So it is a necessary uh, skill to learn and hopefully educate others on. So I think that's really cool, though, all the stuff that you teach. But before we get into that, I'm kind of curious. Um, You say they call you the forager chick. How did that all come about? I mean, where where did that okay. start? I mean, I know you lived in New York, maybe upstate New York. Mm-hmm. I don't know. New York City. Not sure. Mm-hmm. Long Island, actually. Okay. okay. I'll tell you about that part first before the forager chick. So I am so not the way I was. When we moved here 30 something years ago, I was a typical Long Islander girl. I mean, I had the big hair, I had <laughs> the pink nails, I wore high heels and me go camping. Heck no, that wasn't even on my radar. (laughs) So when we moved down here, I wanted land so that I could have horses. I was like, yeah, I want to ride some horses. No, I don't want to do the garden, honey. You do the garden. I'll just go play with the horses. And little by little, it just changed from that. And when I had my son, all of a sudden I realized, you know, there's a lot more out there than 
what I was doing. I want to stay home with my child and take care of him and learn how to grow my own food and cook my own food. Well, I've always cooked, um, can my own food, anything like that. So, so yeah, I am so far removed from the Long Island scene. <laughs> it's not even funny. <laughs> so when you say that in my head, I, I see like the Sopranos or, um, like uh, Goodfellas or something like that, and like the big hair and the wives and getting all dolled up and going out to eat and like <laughs> the big family Picture dinners. Picture the nanny. Do you remember this? Well, I don't know. You're, oh yeah, Fran Dreschner. Yeah, 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 yeah. With yeah. the voice. So, yeah, that yeah. was me. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So okay, so you guys decided to move, moved to mm-hmm. the country in Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. how, how was that as far as an adjustment? I mean, coming from Long Island to. Oh, wow. It was, it was quite amazing because we lived on this property that was like 30 by a hundred. I mean, that's like the tiny <laughs> postage stamp. Right. And when we moved here, we got seven acres. It's now 24, but we had seven acres and there was nothing around us. Like the nearest gas station was two and a half, three miles away for the first two months that we lived here. Every time there was fog because we live at the top of a hill. We're like, oh God, we can't go anywhere. We didn't realize <laughs> that once she got off of this hill, the fog was gone. Yeah. yeah. Every, I'm, it was an adjustment. <laughs> I'm at the age now where, you know, a lot of things have changed and developed around me. And I tell my wife all the time, because I grew up in this area and I'm like, oh, I remember that was nothing but cornfields. So anytime we drive somewhere, she's like, yeah, let me guess. It was nothing but cornfields or it was nothing but timber. And now it's not there anymore. This is so developed. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's true. It really has built up all around us. Definitely. Uh, it's kind of funny, but you know, it's, it's yeah, funny. I wouldn't change it for anything. No, no. And that's my wife was a total city girl, wanted to, you know, live in Chicago when she was done with school and all of those things. And then um, just the other day, in fact, we were talking about it and she's like, I, w- I wouldn't trade this for anything. Like, if you told me I had to move into town or in a bigger city, she's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's not happening. She's like, I'd take a trailer on, you know, 20 acres or a tiny house somewhere before I ever, ever, ever moved, you know, back into town. So that's, that's right, pretty cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah the you you move you move into the country at this point and then i mean where where's it go from there you have your your son and you just yeah. want to learn more about the wonderful nature around you or what yeah it was just like kind of crazy i wound up having a couple of friends that um did the homesteading thing and had children that were homeschooled and their children were healthy and she would make their own medicine and they had all their own meat. They raised all their own food. And I was like, Oh, wow. I want to do this. I don't want to raise my own meat though. I'm I'm honestly, I I don't want to do that, but I wanted to learn from her. And I did, I learned a lot from her about canning. And um, at that time, it was the first time I learned anything about herbalism because, you know, we went to the doctors, like everybody told us, you know, you mm-hmm. just go to the doctor. And now when you can make your own medicine. So the world was opening up. And at that time, this friend who had a farm, she had six children. Um, she started this ladies group. It's called the Ladies Homestead Gathering. It's a national group now. And when we would all get together, we just had all these ideas about homesteading and like baking and canning and growing food or raising pigs or raising chickens. And our minds were just blown about learning about this. So it was just like, we had all this information overload in just like one to two years. And I just kind of gravitated towards herbalism. That was my thing at first. I was like, oh man, I want to learn about all these things. Because at the time that we were going to this class or, you know, this group, um, I was getting migraines and they were really bad. And I was put on some really strong medication and it was terrible. It was so bad that... You know, I would tell my husband before I laid down, I would say, honey, check on me in about an hour Mm. because the medicine has like really bad side effects. And it gives me this like heart pain in my heart and it puts pressure on my chest and my shoulders and I feel like I can't breathe. And I'm like, just check on me. Make sure I'm alive. You know, you shouldn't think like that. But we listen to our doctors. And so I met the, you know, when I was at this group. Um, I met this woman who is an herbalist and she goes, you don't need to do that anymore. I have something for you. It's called Feverfew. 
And if you take that daily, your migraines might go away. And I was like, give it to me. So <laughs> I started this and that was my, I guess, initiation into herbalism. I realized, you know, oh, herbs can help us. Let me get into this a little bit further. And then I did, I dove into learning everything I could about herbs. And then I finally went into a, um, a full course with Patricia Howell of Botanologos School of Herbal Studies. And I did that with her. And then the foraging just came from there because I was more about, I didn't want to become a medical herbalist. I didn't want to become the traditional herbalist to see patients. I did that a while, but it wasn't me. You know, I would rather teach everybody, hey, you know, here, look what we got outside. You can make medicine. Let me show you how. And then you can take care of your own family. So that's the route that I chose to take. And I just, yeah, I love foraging. And the more I can find around me, the better it is. You know, I can make more medicine that way, or I can eat the food that I find. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love that because I did notice something with herbalists. A lot of them were using herbs that came from different countries, mm -hmm. not what we have here. They were armchair. I call them armchair herbalists. They would just order them from a catalog make up their compound medicines and give them to their patients. And I'm like, why, why are you doing that? You know, we have so much here that you don't need to go anywhere else. There's always something else that's right here, right around the corner from you. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. So there's what's a few in your things there that I want to kind of unfold a little bit, but one of the okay. things that first I'll address is I, I have ran out of certain things that I've, collected and foraged and over time it was uh certain things that i'd take an entire year and identify it through the entire course of the year and then wait until the next year before i felt confident and comfortable enough to where i could harvest these things and then dry them and keep them and you know jars in my basement on the shelves and it was so cool it was such a good feeling to have my own little apothecary you know and um but i ran out of certain things and so i ordered them you know, and tried to get the non-irradiated, non-GMO, whatever, but it's still coming from foreign countries and shipped over here. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure in some of those things, there's other stuff mixed within them from the harvest methods or whatever. It almost looks like blades of grass and pieces of straw chopped up along with it. And I can't really tell. And you don't know. I mean, it's not like I'm doing mm -hmm. any type of source testing here. So uh, I, I could see to where that could become problematic or introducing other things and allergens to people and all kinds of stuff to where if you could harvest yourself or teach people to harvest themselves, it seems like the better, more sustainable way to do it as well as a safer yes. method. Um, but with right. that being said, um, <laughs> you, you said that uh, you, you got into it and you started learning it and you went to uh, herbalism school and I was telling my wife, I said, I think I want to you know, not necessarily maybe be a clinical herbalist or something like that, but I want to study it more. And it's like, how, how does one even go about that? Do they have to, like, is there online universities? How do you even, you know, start? Yeah. There's a couple of different ways. I mean, nowadays, you know, after, after 2020, everything is online. You know, even I have an online school now because you can't service all your people locally. So yeah, you, I started first with a book by Rosemary Gladstar. Uh, I think it's called A Beginner's Guide to Herbalism. Herbalism, A Beginner's Guide. I always forget the title. Mm -hmm. It's like $10. Right? I own it. <laughs> um, that's a great, oh, good. There you go. <laughs> that's the best way to start. And then find something, if you can, in your area, like check in around your area. There is the American Herbalist Guild, and you can look on their website, and they'll have some good qualified herbalists that have full courses. And it depends on what you want you know, and what aligns with your beliefs and stuff like that too, because there's a lot of different things out there. And um, you could take a, most of the courses that are in person are going to be anywhere from seven months to a year, even longer. Like we have a local uh, herbalist over in, in Alabama and his is perpetual, but I think it's about a two year program. Um, you can do online ones. There's plenty of online ones. That Herbal Academy is a really good one that you can start your beginner herbalism and then go all the way into intermediate. But I'm more of, I am a hands-on tactile learner. I like to learn everything 
directly from somebody. So I find that the best route um, or with videos, something with videos. Yeah. So I hope that answered. Yeah. I'm pretty kinetic too, as far as that goes. I, I need to see it and touch it at the same time when I'm, mm-hmm. when I'm doing that. I feel like I retain more that way anyway, versus uh, right. studying a traditional, like a book and then, you know, maybe hearing somebody say something about it. It just doesn't feel the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay. That's definitely good to know. And then, the other thing was, was you were talking about like educating others and doing that. So how, how did that, at what point did that come about? Was it like as soon as you learned it or did you practice for a while? What did you do? Okay. It's, this is kind of funny because I was the shyest person like way back when, you know, I was so shy. If you said boo to me, I'd be like, okay, I'm not talking. I'm not getting up. I'm not getting in front of anybody and tell them anything. So back in 2011, I taught my first bread making class because somebody encouraged me to do this in front of our group of 12 women. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. So I did it and then I kind of liked it and I'm like, wow, well, all right, what else can I teach? Well, in 2013, I went ahead and taught my very first, like, what's out in your backyard that you could eat? And make medicine from it was like a class we had 10 or 12 people here at my house and we went for a little walk in the woods in the fields and i talked to them about different herbs and it just compounded from there and and now i have so many different classes that i teach and now i focus more on mushrooms mushrooms are my main thing that i teach about especially the wild mushrooms and making medicine from them identifying them and cert- being a certified herb uh, certified mushroom forager. So um, yeah, I just, it it was just like, oh my gosh, I got to teach. And what else can I teach now? And I let my students kind of dictate that, like, what do you want to learn now? And we would go from there. So we have, I have quite a few students and um, I enjoy it. And I'm always looking for new people and new things to teach, but I pretty much stick with the basics of backyard foraging. Because that's what people want to know. They want to know what's right here in your area. They don't want to know what's growing out in California. <laughs> like if I'm in Georgia, what's growing in Canada? What what do I got in my yard? And so I'll even go to people's homes or farms and do like a little walkabout. And we do a two-hour walkabout on their property and showing them what's there. And I do little index cards like flashcards and they take a picture so they can remember because nobody remembers you know on the walks you can't remember all that and they're excited about that and they're like oh great come back at the next season and let's see what's growing then and when people find that they really have everything that they need right in their backyard to start their own apothecary they get really excited about that or to make food i mean to just go out there and make a pesto or a salad and it's free I mean, God put it out there for a reason, you know, it's there for us to use. And people forgot about that. You know, in the old days, everybody foraged, everybody was out there. It was commonplace. It's definitely, and and let me ask you this then, because it, it makes me curious and I don't know if it's because I have such an interest in it now and am learning it that maybe to me it just seems like a lot more people are interested in it these days and there's almost a resurgence or revival as far as foraging and herbalism. I mean, what do you see on your end as far as that goes? I see um, people are waking up to see what's going on right now. And especially, you know, not to get into politics, Mm -hmm. just this past year alone with food, where's your food coming from? You know, and why isn't it here and why isn't it at our grocery stores? And people are thinking, oh, crap, you know, what if we have that situation and we can't go to the grocery store? That's where I'm getting people. They're like, I need to know. I need to know what I can eat out there, you know, because they might be hunters. They might be fishermen. Um, I'm learning to fish now because I need to know those skills. You know, I'm not a hunter. I don't eat meat, but I'm not against it. I'm not against it at all. But I would like to learn how to hunt because it's probably something that I need to know. Um, And this is just things. And this is where I was talking about before with being a prepper. And I don't mean like you see on those TV shows from from the 80s and 90s where people are having these crazy gas mask things. And, you know, I'm talking about just 
being prepared, like you were saying, you know, to have enough or to know enough that you could survive if you had to for six months to a year, you know, yeah, because, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm getting a lot of that now. People are like, well, there's no ibuprofen at the store. What are we going to do? Or there's no um, toilet paper. What can we use? Well, there's plenty of things outside you can use, but yeah. Right, right. Um, Just don't use the poison I ivy. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I, th I think that's it. People are, are, are waking up to realize that we have a somewhat of a broken system, and if something's not done about it soon, there's going to be a lot of people out of luck. And yeah. most people, if they look in their grocery, you know, if they look in their refrigerator, they only have two or three days of food anyway. That's not going to work if there is a bad situation. Yeah. You know that. Living in the country, mm -hmm. I feel like it's a necessity to have more than that because it's a major inconvenience if you're cooking, you're making something, right? You want those items readily available and more than just mm -hmm. one jar of whatever, you know, can of whatever. So that's always been kind of a staple in my life and now my wife's life as well. And it used to be, you know, Sam's Club runs or Costco runs. And my wife was like, this is crazy. Who needs, you know, this much bulk of whatever? And I'm like, you don't, we're not going back to the store for like a month. We, we have everything we need. And she's like, what? It was just, uh, you know, <laughs> fascinating to her to, to be exposed to this lifestyle. And now it's, you know, Azure orders and it's, uh, you know, bulk grains and grinding our own for our own flour and things like that. And she's like, I, I could ever go back to that, you know, to the old mm -hmm. way of that. I mean, pretty soon I'd like to start growing my own grains or find uh, different yeah. plants that, that don't even have to be that maintained, you know, that can come back. Like you see the amaranth and stuff like that. It just makes you think like, why wouldn't you just let that go crazy? You know, what's it right. hurting? Yeah. It's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. And yeah, you could have grains that way. <laughs> the only thing I've tried popping amaranth. I haven't tried popping. Um, I want to try like lamb's quarter seeds and see if like you right. can pop those and make like a little tiny popcorn out of them. But I can't oh, even cool. get the amaranth to do it properly. Like I'll get it to mm. half pop and then the rest of it by <laughs> then it burns. But I'm working on it. I'm trying Aww. and I'm going to try and get it to where where I can do that. Sorghum I can get to do, you know, things like that. Um, I don't, I don't know what else is out there that maybe I could try it with, but it does work. You can like mm -hmm. pop it like popcorn, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I kind of curious about like the medicines and stuff like that. You were talking about your headaches and you mm -hmm. were talking about, I can't remember what you said it was, but, um. Fever few. Fever few. Okay. So like, mm -hmm. were you utilizing that in a tea or tincture form or what were you doing? Oh, no. Oh, gosh. It's a god-awful tasting herb, but it grows. Once you plant it, you have it like forever. It's like one of those weeds because each flower head has like thousands of little seeds. It looks like a tiny, tiny daisy. Okay. It's a um, white, little teeny tiny white flower, but it smells really awful. And I took it in a capsule. Okay. So it, it worked. It was like once a day. And so after that, I decided, let me tincture this and have it. But you know, the one thing when you do have a migraine, you don't want anything that tastes nasty because it'll just make you right. nauseous the rest <laughs> and of your worse. Senses, so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but it's easy to grow. It's definitely easy to grow. And once you have it, you could capsulate it yourself just with the little capsule maker. Interesting. Because I actually had... Yeah. It was weird. I had migraines. Like it was like two, maybe three days in a row. I had a migraine, and it was just terrible. You know, you almost get nausea from the headache. And I'm like, mm -hmm, I don't hardly mm -hmm. ever, you know, and go to the chiropractor mm -hmm. and get adjusted and relieve some of that tension and yeah. stuff like that. But it was weird. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I really don't want to take the liver killer here, you know, to try no. and get rid of it. And it's like, what do I use? And I was out of mint, and I knew like that might help a little bit and ease some of the, mm -hmm. but. But it was like, I don't I don't know what to use. And I was looking at my book and a lot of things I didn't have. So it's kind of interesting that you say that because I might try and plant it if it grows good here. We'll see what it Definitely. does. It's so easy to grow. And it's pretty. It's pretty to look at too. So 
And you'll always have it once you get it. <laughs> All right. So the mushrooms are your main thing now, like curiosity, interest, all that kind of stuff. Is it because you've mastered yeah. the herbalism or what? What 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 drew no, you to the mushrooms? No, no, it's it's so funny because as I hated mushrooms. Up until I was like in in my thirties, I absolutely hated mushrooms because the only thing I've ever experienced was white button mushrooms yep. or mushrooms in a can when I was a kid, <laughs> which was disgusting and slimy. And we were doing a um a shiitake workshop here at one day. A friend was teaching it. And I'm like, you know, I didn't even really like mushrooms. And here I am doing this shiitake class. And she made this shiitake hummus, which was delicious. And I'm like, whoa, I could just eat bowls of this stuff. But we were we were just doing the logs, inoculating the logs for shiitakes, and then we went on a walk to look at mushrooms, and we found our first morels. Now, I know up north, you guys have bigger morels than we do down here, but I was just like ecstatic that I found morels, and I cooked them up when we got back to the house, and I, we only found five, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to keep like two of these, you guys can have the rest, and cooked them up, and I was like, whoa, this is, doesn't taste like a button mushroom. So then I went on to all the different types of mushrooms and chanterelles were next. We have so many mm, chanterelles here yes. in the summertime. And um, and going back to an earlier question you had about where my name came from, my nickname, my friend and I were out hunting chanterelles as we do every summer pretty much. And we had like baskets and baskets of these chanterelles we probably had eight pounds and all we kept talking about was like okay we're gonna fry these up we're gonna make some um maybe some chanterelles in dessert maybe we'll make chanterelle casserole i mean it was like forrest gump you know we're talking about all the different things we can make with chanterelles <laughs> well we're all excited we get in our own cars and I, I've told this story a million times, but it's funny because her and I never talk on the phone ever. We always text. So I get in a car. I'm not like 10 feet out the driveway of the farm we were at. I hunt at one of these farms at 400 acres, which is wonderful. And I, I call her up and I'm like, Denise, guess what? We are the forager chicks and we're writing a cookbook. She's like, okay. Nice. So that's where the name came from. And my book is Wild Eating with the Forager Chicks. But I am the Forager Chick. And when we're a group, we're the Forager Chicks. Interesting. So like, like a little chicken, if you think about it. Little chicks and hens, they forage for their food, they right? Do. They, they, they pick and, and choose forage. what they want. And yeah, so that's where it came from. <laughs> my chickens uh, actually ate. I made a mushroom bed with the kids um last spring and um they as soon as they would pop up my wine caps the the chickens would peck at them and eat some of them and leave them and then if they didn't there was squirrels that must have got them first thing in the morning or something you know, oh. and they were eating them too. So I, it was a fight just to get my mushrooms every day and Aww. I'd pick them. So I'd get a handful. I, I mean, I got quite a few for like a first year mushroom bed. It was actually pretty interesting to see how many popped up. And then after a rain, they'd be nice. huge and almost split. You know, you'd have to go out there and get them right away. But it was, definitely, it was good. Definitely. Interesting. I had quite a few uh, little sandwich, not sandwich baggies, but like the lunch sacks full of them. So. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, Love mushrooms because now, um, because like I said before, I don't eat meat. So I do eat chicken and I eat fish and stuff. But I um, mushrooms are a high protein food. And most people don't realize that, you know, some of them have up to 30% protein. And so to me, I eat mushrooms every day. You know, that's just my added protein. So I don't have to rely on beans and soy products and other things, you know, because, you know, you got to have your protein every day. And yeah, I just became obsessed with it. Truly, I am obsessed. Yeah. I am a fungus freak. <laughs> our uh, our our babysitter was the same way. She uh, was vegan, and then slowly introducing meat. But still, a lot of her dishes uh -huh. were, you know, supplemented with mushrooms instead of meat and things like that. So when I had those bags in the fridge, my wife would give them away and. It's kind of funny because I come home the one day and I'm like, oh, we're going to make stir fry at work tomorrow, you know, and I'm going to go and do all these things. And then I look for the mushrooms and I'm like, wait, where are my mushrooms? 
<laughs> she gave the whole bag away to her, which is fine. I wasn't mad, but it was just a real uh, heartbreaker at the moment because I had in my mind what I was going to do with it. And I had the venison roast out and was slicing it up and ready to get it all together so then I could cook it. And, and uh, it didn't end up happening that week. So, Aww. but it's okay. <laughs> But it just made me think of that when you said that, though, because uh, it's it's funny, though, how, like, is it just because the red meat thing or what? Like, you'll eat chicken? I eat chicken, and it's funny because, um, I don't know, I always say it's funny, but uh, I eat chicken maybe once a week or so, and for a while, I didn't eat chicken at all. I just, you know, ate fish all the time or I ate the mushrooms or I would do some soy that was organic but I was never really a big meat eater Mm -hmm. I didn't like meat and like if I had meat I would cover it in ketchup and gravy so I guess it was probably 25 28 28 years ago I was like you know it's just I don't like the meat I don't want the meat um so at first it was a little bit of an ethical thing but I'm not like one of those people you know I do believe I was young then, and I was also like, oh, you shouldn't hunt anything. But I do believe you need to hunt your food. And if you can hunt your food and get it, that's great. I think that's fabulous. Yeah. But um, I just don't want it. I cook it from a husband home. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's funny because I know somebody who raised chickens. Now they just have chickens for eggs. But uh, right. they raised meat birds before, and I, I raised my own birds for meat as well. Um, but they did, and he's he's a huge hunter, right? And he's like, why do you eat chicken? Like, it's gross. And he goes, after raising them, like, I never want to eat it again. They're just, especially because they were Cornish crosses, so it wasn't like a heritage breed, mm-hmm. and it they grow super fast, and it's just almost unnatural. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's just right. so disgusting. They're so dirty. They're in their own filth. Like, why would you eat that when you can eat, like, bear meat or, you know <laughs> He's like, it's there's so many other better red meats out there that's you know way tastier. Go kill a porcupine, he says. You know, it was kind of funny. Uh, no, you know, I don't know. Like, I've never eaten a porcupine, but I know quite a few people now that say it's wonderful. So I kind yeah. of want to go. And we don't really have porcupines around here by me. You know, if you go further north yeah. or something, you do. But um, kind of makes me want to go do it now. Just to see. I guess you know? if you had to, you know, if you had to, it's it's good to know that you would do it. You know, yeah. I don't know what I would do in a have to situation. I'm sure I would eat it. Now, if you tell me I have to eat some nasty, slimy bugs or something, I might not do that. I don't know. Or some weird things. I'm trying to even think of some weird things. You know, I watch the shows alone and Naked and Afraid. I love those shows. I watch them all the time. So um, there's some things that they've eaten and I'm like, Oh, hell no, I'm not eating that. You know, I've never eaten grubs or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe as a kid, like a half a night crawler or something on a dare, like fishing with your buddies. But other than that, no. Um, but I have eaten termites. I was down in, you know, Costa Rica and licked my finger and stuck it in the in the tree and pulled out a bunch of termites and ate them and you couldn't i'm gonna be <laughs> honest you couldn't really t- it just tasted like sawdusty you know what i mean like right. it, like a piece of cheese that was the in the bottom <laughs> of the bag that's caked with cellulose you know it, it was about the same as that there wasn't really any flavor or anything um but other than that maybe a couple ants i don't but other than that, I haven't really eaten any bugs and i really don't know if i want to i've got a friend that uh he eats beetles, um, Japanese uh, beetles, and he makes no. all kinds of weird stuff with them. Um, and he says, you know, why not? They're there and you might as well kill them. And if you're going to kill them, try and eat them. So, I mean, I see his ideology behind that, but I just can't get into it yet. I'd rather feed them to my chickens. Um, Definitely. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I don't want to eat grasshoppers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they have like tapeworms and stuff in them. A lot of parasites, yeah. but <laughs> pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand presents Saturdays at eight thirty p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Yeah. I'll just stick to eating the weeds, you know? Yeah. I eat I'm the sure weeds. I'm sure I get my protein. You probably <laughs> get a lot of, and I thought about that before as I pick different, like, leafy things and stuff that you don't notice and you don't see and maybe on the bottom side there's some type of like egg nodule or you know something like that that you don't know and it's insects or parasites on them who knows yep yep (laughs) same with mushrooms same with mushrooms you know yeah if you don't um depending on the type of mushroom there are some that have worms or little critters that look exactly the same color as the mushroom yes and so like Like for oyster mushrooms Oh, yeah. Puffballs, oyster mushrooms. I will. Those are the only mushrooms that I dip in salted water for briefly for about 10 minutes before I cook them. Because one time I was cutting them on a cutting board and all of a sudden I saw things moving on my cutting board. And I was like, that's when the little girl came out again. I was like, yeah, I can't eat this. (laughs) I've thrown a lot of puffballs in my yard after cutting them and just having stuff crawling all over and I'm like no I don't need to eat them let them grow and maybe there'll be more and I'll pick them before they're buggy you know there you go there you go (laughs) you want healthy healthy specimens and I know that's a lot of people sometimes go out there and they'll pick mushrooms and they pick these maggoty looking mushrooms I'm like stop it stop it you don't need to eat that just pick a healthy specimen I mean you wouldn't pick an animal that's half dead you know, right? Some don't people, pick a, maybe. <laughs> some people, well, okay, you're right. You're right. Roadkill, yes. Yeah. But, you know, pick something that's healthy. If you're going to the grocery store, you're not going to eat the ones that have like the flies all over them. I don't think you're going to look for the prettiest looking packages. <laughs> right. So mushrooms then, like uh, once, once you started foraging and you got into it, um, was it mm-hmm. edibility at first or like medicinal aspects? Um, I would say a combination of medicinally and edibility for sure. Uh, because when I was studying herbalism, I still study herbalism, but when I went to herbal school, we did talk about certain medicinal mushrooms and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then when I realized, gosh, they are so good for you. I mean, not just for nutrition, but medicinally it's like, yeah, what else is out there? And, um, it's more about the hunt for me too. I really like the hunt of finding the mushrooms and um, making different dishes with it and see how creative you could get with it. But I do make medicine out of all the mushrooms I find. I do dual extracted uh, tinctures uh, so that I have them and they're stored up for up to 10 years. And mushrooms are good for so many different things in your body, but especially for the immune system. So I make a lot uh, for that, for people that have colds or for our families. And lion's mane, lion's mane is one of my main ones. We're finding a lot of those now, but a lot of it goes into medicine to make the tinctures for our brain and keep us healthy that way, for sure. And then I just got into teaching others about it. I became certified from uh, Mushroom Mountain to to be a certified forager and resell mushrooms because in states, you know, certain states, you can't just sell mushrooms to the public. You have to be certified, which is good nowadays because mm-hmm. so many chefs were accepting mushrooms that were not the mushroom they're Chiromitras you know, instead of. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, you know, uh, so education needs to happen a lot more. And, um, I also became one of their instructors for them because I love teaching and I I became a facilitator for their program and I get to teach in New York and Georgia and South Carolina and hopefully Alabama and one day up by you, maybe we'll see, you know, I'm trying to get them to get at least Ohio on board. Um, But yeah, just educating, educating other people about the mushrooms because a lot of people are scared of mushrooms. I have this fear of them. Yeah mycophobia it's weird (laughs) yeah it's people and what i find interesting is some people like their grandparents went out and they would forage and go pick mushrooms Mm -hmm. or whatever but then just that one generation or two generation disconnect and they'll be the first people to comment and tell you oh like you're gonna poison yourself or 
you know, mm-hmm. what was this forage? What are you, what are you doing? You know, if you bring in something to share <laughs> with them and then they eat it and they're like, oh, wow, that was really good. You're going to poison me with it. Am, am I going to get sick? And I'm like, no, you're not going to get sick yeah. from it. You know, we, right. we know what we're doing here. I wouldn't feed it to you if I wasn't confident. So, or That's well, right. maybe I would. Depends on who the person is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm but kidding. But yeah. if you think also, you know, from a, from a grocery standpoint, I mean, how much money you save. I'm very frugal by nature. I've been that way. I grew up that way. Um, we didn't have money when I was a kid, and so my frugal nature comes out now. And to know that mushrooms can be like your food source, and it didn't cost anything except your time. You know, that's that's pretty powerful nowadays. Yeah. Not having to spend $200 a week at the grocery store. I'm the kind of person, and it's my wife always used to give me a hard time about this, but, you know, she's like, why don't you just go and buy that? And I'll spend money on tools and do whatever and learn how to do it. But I tell her, I'm like, look, once I learn how to do it and I have the tools to do it, I can do it anytime whenever I need it. I don't need to go out and buy it again because I have that skill or that resource. She's like, you devote like five times the amount of time and effort into doing it yourself is just going out and spending, you know, $40 or whatever on something. I'm like, I don't think you understand. To me, it's about the pride in knowing how to do it. And same thing, like now I want to make my own butter, not because I have to or I need to, just because I want to and I know where it came from. That's right. You know? Exactly. That's it. I mean, think about like with the shiitake logs. We have about 120 logs now. I want to get to 1,000. That's my goal for the year. And, you know, I use a lot of shiitake mushrooms, not just for me, but in products that I make and stuff. I dehydrate a whole lot of them. But if you just learn how to do grow shiitakes, you know, buy the tools that you need and yearly cut down trees and inoculate them, you have food for five years. You know, if you think about it that way, it's like, hey, it's one and done, you know, you just got to take care of it. My shiitake logs haven't grown any mushrooms yet. I'm starting to wonder maybe they won't. So it's been a year. It's been like this spring will be, well, I guess this, no, I, okay. So I inoculated them last fall and they didn't have anything this fall. So maybe they take a little Mm -hmm. longer. I don't know. You you might have a warm, a warm, a warm strain. And then I would wait until this spring, summer and see what happens. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm really hoping for Mm -hmm. that. So we'll see. I don't know. Maybe my, I had a friend that told me maybe I should have watered them a little bit more. I didn't, but. What kind did you use? Oak or sweet gum? Um, I used oak, oak for the shiitake. And then I also did, I'm trying to think, um, gosh, I did like six different types of mushrooms, I think, but, uh, Um, I did shiitake and reishi. Okay. I think that was on the oak. And then I used mulberry, hackberry, and something else for um, the oysters and mm-hmm. I think lion's mane, maybe. Something like that. And, and lion's that- mane is hard to grow. I haven't had any grow yet. The only thing that I've actually had mm-hmm. a few pop up on those logs was some oysters and they were almost they were so young i didn't pick them because they were almost like translucent you know still and then um i think i don't know something got to them before i did you know as i was letting them grow so you got to fight for that the animals for sure but uh (laughs) so it was only a couple try have you tried growing oyster mushrooms in buckets no i've done blocks and those work pretty okay, good. Okay, the buckets are easy. Yeah. Pretty easy. So is that mm-hmm. where you do like the, the straw inside the buckets? or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I do a very low-tech method of pasteurization. I use those metal trash cans, and I put my chopped straw in there, and I buy the chopped straw that's already bagged mm-hmm. yep. because I don't want to chop it. I want it easy. So I put it in there, and I boil water on the stove. It takes a lot of gallons of water, but I pour it over it, leave it there till the next day, take off the lid because it keeps the temperature for like four to five hours instead of the two that you need. And then I just take it and put it on a clean table with a tarp and mix in all my spawn, fill up my sanitized buckets that have already have holes drilled in them. And usually within a month to two months, I have mushrooms and they fruit several times throughout the season. And I only do it during the warm season. So I try to, you know, okay. set myself up for success by using 
all the warm strains of the oysters, like the pink oysters and the blue oysters. And they're gorgeous. And they sell great at the farmer's market, although I'm not doing a farmer's market anymore. Ten years, I just retired. Okay. So do you <laughs> drill holes in the bucket then? or Yes. How big a holes do you yes. drill? Does it matter? Uh, they're between like a quarter inch, half inch. I think that's the size. I always I always mix them up if it's quarter inch or half inch. But there's plenty of yeah. uh, YouTube videos. I probably even okay. have one up there. And it's only about 12 holes. The Home Depot buckets, you can yep. sanitize them, use them. and Or you could just, you don't have to buy your buckets. You could even find a bakery or a grocery store. And a lot of times they'll give the frosting buckets away for free, which are half the size at two and a half. And they're probably BPA free. Then it didn't cost you anything. Yeah. What? I said, and they're probably BPA free versus like the Home Depot buckets. Yes. Might yeah. Be. Even yeah. though I don't know if that's really leaching into your mushrooms or not, but I don't think so. Yeah. Because it's, not, it's it, I don't think because the mushrooms grow so fast, I don't think there's time for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I don't worry about it. I don't worry about it. So then, when you do like uh your your tincture, or and you're doing a water and uh, alcohol extraction. Um, mm -hmm. what, what like proof of alcohol are you using to, to do that then? Is it like 190 proof, the highest proof you can get or what? Mm -hmm. Yep. I usually buy Everclear or Golden Grain, um, whatever I can, because it makes math easy, mm -hmm. um, for me because I hate, I hate math. Who so this way, if I, <laughs> if I, I do a weight to volume method too, some people do the folk method, um, but mine's weight to volume and it's like one ounce by weight of the mushroom to five ounces by volume of the alcohol. And so if we have, for example, one ounce of the mushrooms, five ounces of the alcohol, I put it in there, all the mushrooms are chopped up. I shake it daily for two weeks and then I strain it out. And if I have enough fresh mushroom still or dried mushroom that I had set aside, I will do the water extraction with the fresh. If not, I use what I strained out. I use that mushroom, put it in a pot with uh, about a liter of water or so, and then reduce it down to equal amounts. So equal this way amounts I have five ounces of the, of the water. Versus, right, okay. right. And then um, when, when you do that, then are you like uh, trying to, you, you just, equal amounts of alcohol and water and you're not using like a hygrometer or anything like that to uh like test no. the alcohol proof at that point then no okay i am not i'm telling you i am not sciencey and i just go by what what my mentors have told me yeah. what works and go with that. We'll see, but like, there are some people that will get sciencey and they'll go really into. No, it only has forty two point eight percent alcohol. Well, forty like, proof you know is good what? enough. I mean, it's yeah. fine. Twenty five percent is enough. Is it? But you okay. know, this way, yeah, it is. It is when you go below that. So when people are using vodka, that's just ninety. Mm. Or oh, what is the regular vodka? Is it eighty? Eighty proof. Eighty, 90, 80 proof. Yeah. Right. You're 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 messing with fire there because. You know, there's no way you're going to know for sure if you're, and why go through all that trouble and expense and then find out that your tincture lasted about a year instead mm -hmm. of 10 years, you know? Yeah. So if you start with the Everclear and know that you have roughly 50%, you know? Right. And that's what I always wondered because it's, if you think about it, in the olden days, there, yeah. people weren't doing such scientific methods and they didn't have digital food scales and all these other right. things they knew hey about this much to this and this will work or if you shake the jar and you see the alcohol clinging to the sides of the jar you know like those are the methods they use they didn't or they hold it up to the light and if it's you know magnifying through when they're doing making their grain alcohol to do these tinctures and things like that it's not I don't know. I feel like people get lost in a lot of that stuff. And it's the the olden ways or the tried and true ways and the ways that everybody did for way longer than we're doing these scientific methods. I totally agree with that. But I wish yes. somebody would teach me those <laughs> methods as well, because I'm only going by things of what I hear. And I feel like sometimes maybe that's not right. But 
Oh, yeah. But yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with the folk method, too. I mean, doing that is totally fine. You're still going to have a good product. The only thing different about doing like the weight to volume method versus a folk method is your product is going to be as similar as what's on the shelf at the store. Mm. You know, so, you know, if you take two dropperfuls, it's going to be similar to what you bought that says take two dropperfuls. If you do the folk method, you may have to take three, three and a half, um, but it's not going to hurt you. Just go you know? by feel. It's only going to make you better. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then there's some people, you know, nowadays there's some people that say that mushrooms aren't even medicinal. And I'm like, what the heck, people? People in other countries have been doing this for years and years and years. And there's proven, um, there's proof that the mushrooms do help. Yeah, I feel like there's so much data that isn't collected or published because, well, big pharmaceutical companies aren't going to make any money off of it, right? Right. And and it's sad that, like, if you look at uh, continuing training and everything for for doctors and, you know, medical professionals, all of that is funded and sponsored by the pharmaceutical companies. So right. they're going to educate you about their drugs and nothing else and not show you any other studies other than anything that benefits them. Seems a little right. shady to me. <laughs> yeah, don't you think? <laughs> I don't yeah. take medicines. <laughs> yeah, I try not to. I really do. I mean, mm. you know, unless it's like a life or death, there, you know, something right. like that to where you absolutely need to. But it's funny, my, my daughter has eczema. And I almost mm-hmm. feel like it's like a heavy metal type thing with her. I really okay. do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw my wife, I was like, I think we need to do like the whole family, just do a heavy metal cleanse and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Maybe a parasite cleanse after that. Who knows? Um, never done that, by the way. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, so she gets like a rash and the doctor prescribes stuff for her to put on the eczema. But it's like, it almost bleaches her skin, whatever it is, and it's not healthy. So we oh, stopped no. using it, and we use a yarrow and plantain salve, okay. and that okay. alone makes it better mm-hmm. in a day or two. Awesome! All on awesome. its own. Yeah, you, that's great. You don't need that other stuff. Do you have um chickweed up there too? Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of chickweed. Okay, well that's yeah. that's what I use for people with um eczema. I use chickweed and plantain mixed together. But a lot of times also with eczema, it's a liver thing. So not necessarily just heavy metals. She might just need a liver cleanse. Okay. And it's a little bit easier. Yeah. So, so you know, the, the dandelion root. Okay. Like there's uh, all the bitter herbs, your dandelion, gentian root, um, getting her to eat some of the bitter herbs and lay off sugar a little bit. Yeah, if he can get that's the other thing. That. And so here's something interesting I found. What my wife ate during pregnancy seems to be what the children crave. It's their favorite thing. Interesting. So oh. with the first one, my wife ate pretty much everything, but she always craved like different meats. And my oldest is a meat eater. My middle one, for some reason, my wife just craved candy and sugar and all these bad things and ate it. And the middle one is a sugar junkie. We have to like really, really monitor her and police her because she'll sneak and steal anything. If there's candy in the house or anything, she'll sneak and steal it. And that's the one that has the eczema and all those kinds of issues. And then the littlest one, my wife would eat spicy hot things she craved like nachos and you know tacos and all these things and the little guy is a taco lover and loves hot sauce on his tacos and jalapenos it's crazy it's wild (laughs) (laughs) but so it's kind of weird but i i see it and that's funny that you said the sugar because it popped in my head right Mm -hmm. away that yeah so maybe just the whole sugar detox which is going to be hard for her but Mm -hmm. hard Mm -hmm. for all of us really it's in everything it's crazy yes it is (laughs) (laughs) so mushrooms favorite like i mean so you've got the entire book a bunch of recipes probably about these different mushrooms and incorporating them into dishes 
Yes. Um, it's all mostly um, mushrooms, but there's plenty of like wild greens and flowers. We I like making pretty food too. So if you look on the Instagram page, I love to make things pretty because you should, you eat with your eyes first. And it's basically, the book is about using things that you have in your backyard. And there are always substitutions too. So if you can't find, um, you know, chanterelle mushrooms, maybe you can use oyster mushrooms or button mushrooms in a recipe. But I like to think out of the box too with my recipes, because a lot of people think you just saute your mushrooms and that's it. But you could put chanterelles in desserts and it's fabulous because they take on that sweet, sweet flavor and they pair well with peaches. So I make a chanterelle peach muffin. I also, this year, I just started making a chanterelle peach jam mm. that is to die for. It is so good. So next year, I got to make like a buttload of those because I already sold out and I only kept what I want for myself, you know, a couple of jars. Um we brandy chanterelles. And then with lion's mane, gosh, anything that you can do with seafood, you could do with lion's mane. So, of course, the obvious crab cakes. Um, but this year we also made a, uh, this is, isn't in the book, but it was a lion's mane chowder that mm -hmm. could rival a clam chowder. People would not know there's not clams in there. That's you know? interesting because I'm actually allergic yeah. to seafood, found out recently. So wow. I know, sad. Still eat scallops, so I'm good there, you know. And I actually <laughs> prefer them anyway. I Like a good scallop to like having to actually work at a crab claw or something just seems Oh, yeah, seems crab better claws to me. are, yeah. But... Yeah. I'm a lobster lobster tail kind of person. Love my lobster tails. <laughs> I, I also did, but no more. <laughs> no more. I'm sorry. I know. But now I, I have lion's mane to look forward to, right? So That's right. So Absolutely. I may try try mm -hmm. doing some crab cakes or something with them. You know, it's a funniest story. Well, I've told it a couple times on this podcast, but that's the one mushroom that I regret. I found one. So just got into hunting hen of the woods. Just started, mm -hmm. learned about them, went with a friend. And then that was like kind of, I always kind of morale hunted and had a few buddies that I went and did that with, but that was it. You know, that was like the gateway, but I never really expanded yes. that that far. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, what else? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be more seasons. What fills me in until hunting season comes around for deer? And then there it was. It was Hen of the Woods. And amazing. my buddy brought some in and cooked them some different ways. And I'm like, man, I need all right, I need to go find these. So I went and learned them. And then while I was hunting those and I had a mushroom book and I used to flip through it. And that's how I learned a lot of my things is I actually flip through the books and kind of just like mm -hmm. sort of memorize them or recognition. And then, oh, I think I know that. Go back home and look and be like, oh, wow, okay. Now I know what, you know, climate that actually grows in, even though it says this in the book, you know, I get it now put those pieces together and then uh so i find this lion's mane mushroom and i'm like i know that is it edible oh man i don't know so rather than like picking it taking it studying it right i left it rookie move oh rookie move mm -hmm. never found another one since and uh, oh you will i will i will but uh i maybe there's just not that common around me i don't know i found uh like one bear's tooth you know, pretty close to lion's mane, but no, like, big, long, shaggy. It was so beautiful. It was so, it wasn't huge, but, I mean, it was, like, the size of, like, a big perfect. softball, you know, perfect size. And I left it, and that was the end of it. So, to oh, this day. You'll find another one. It still haunts me. It still haunts me to this day. But so many things, <laughs> oh and at the gosh. time, I didn't know, like, once I read through the book and I'm like, oh man, that would have been so cool to make some type of dish with it, right? And then later Absolutely. on you learn how medicinal it is and, you know, the neurological effects that it can have for you and improvement and cognition and all these different things. And I'm like, yeah. man, now I really, I feel like well, I need could, it now. <laughs> you could always order it, you know, and get it from somebody else and have it shipped to you. So I got to say... I've heard a lot of things about a lot of different companies that are out there that they've done testing on. And sometimes they don't even have the mushroom that they claim that's in there, in there. Yes, there is a lot of those. No, I'm talking about if you want it fresh, you know, if you want it fresh and you don't have one in your area, 
you could um, check it forage.com. And there are so many uh, foragers on there and they have lion's mane and you could just order it and have it shipped to you overnight. It's a little pricey to do that, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, if you're looking for one that has dried, um, lion's mane, like in capsules or in, or in coffees or something like that, you do have to be careful of what company. And I don't know, is it okay for me to mention a company? Yeah, you or can. Not? Okay. You can. I've tried them. Um, I'm a coffee snob though. So I gotta say, yeah, I'm a coffee so snob. So to me, it's not that great because yeah. it's already pre-ground and in my mind, pre-ground coffee is stale from the moment, like 15 minutes after you grind it. But you know, yeah. but other people, yeah, I'm not gonna knock it. That. I'm not gonna knock it for no, other people. So fine. go ahead and mention it. No, because I've I tried. Mean, it. I like four si- Yeah, I like Four Sigmatic. I mean, they're just like a, a. I think they're a good company, and I don't like. I mean, I use their little instant coffees, but mainly I like their ground coffee. The one is ground, so um, I do lines main coffee a lot, and I find it's pretty good. But for capsules, for companies like that, um, Paul Stamets has a company. Um, I don't know why the name is going out of me, but I know one of his products is called My Community, and it has a lot of good mushrooms in it. But you do have to be careful. You want the whole fruiting body. You do not want just the mycelium, no matter what somebody tells you, because that's not what you want. You want the fruiting body. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel like at this point in the game... I should just find it on my own and collect it yes. or grow it. And also what always makes me wonder when it grows on a substrate that's not the natural substrate that it actually grows on and you're using like, you know, different millet or whatever, if it truly right. has the same benefits as it would in the potency as in the wild. Right. Like anything else, I mean, no matter what you eat, if it's not grown naturally, then it's not going to have the same nutritional value. You know, you do have Mm -hmm. those chain of commands that go down. Like, what are you willing, how far are you willing to go down that chain to get what you want? You know, if you want to get it fresh, you want it off that tree, of course. Now, second best would be out of the little grow bags, but then you could go down to the coffees or the tinctures or the, well, the tinctures would probably be your next bet, best bet. If you get a tincture, because yeah. that's hopefully it was made from the ones that were grown on a tree. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that's like, I mean, even with meat, I don't know if you've ever looked at like the studies and the graphs and the different uh, and breaks it down, you know, wild game versus uh, like farm raised. And then even from farm, I've seen some of them to where it goes from like farm raised to uh, like commercial feedlots. And the difference in the quality of the protein and the different types of fats that they have in them, it's Mm -hmm. astonishing. I mean, it is like elk, like elk meat is, you know, per ounce, it's like 20, you know, something, 28 grams or 30 something grams of protein, you know, and then it's like venison is close to that. But then, you know, of course, because of agriculture and stuff, they average it in and it's even lower. And then you go to, uh, you know, like a grass fed cattle and it's, it's still decent, but it's lower. And then, you know, the domestic feedlots and it's like way lower and it's only like you know 18 grams of protein and it only has two types of fats and one of them's a bad cholesterol anyway and it's like what is going on here so yeah it's like your eggs it's just like your eggs yeah. right you raise your own chickens i do too and people are like oh you're gonna get high cholesterol no you're not yeah. not from your own eggs <laughs> then our our chickens aren't stressed out they're not gonna have high cholesterol in their yeah. eggs Mine, mine even lay throughout most of the winter. This is the first time that mine they too. haven't even. And and I guess I don't know. I guess that's just a happiness thing and keeping them warm and cozy. You know, I think that's and good food. Yeah, mm-hmm. I let them. I let them free range most of the time. I don't keep mm-hmm. them cooped cooped up. <laughs> Pun intended right. there. Um, but yeah, I don't keep them cooped up or even in a run unless like I have a predator problem. That's the only time I keep them in the run until that's mm-hmm. addressed properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and they eat bugs and whatever. And, you know, we throw, yep. uh, scraps to them from, you know, when we're cooking 
with you know whatever vegetable peelings all that kind of stuff so it's it's funny the first time uh, my wife we had the first batch of chickens and they followed her everywhere every single one of them would let her pick them up we don't have that now you know because there's just not enough time but she spent enough time with them when they were chicks that almost every i think it was every single one of them would let her pick them up which is kind of rare in a flock especially when you have like 18 birds in the flock yeah really she'd call for them i mean they still come now but it's normally one or two will come and the rest will follow but she would call and holler out girls girls come here and they would all come running it didn't matter if they were on the other side of the property they would come running and she'd feed them watermelon and you know the rinds or whatever and they'd just tear it up but it was that's funny it was pretty cool to watch that happen (laughs) love it that's great yeah yeah so it's been awesome talking to you i truly appreciate it thank you for sharing and uh before we go just kind of where can everybody find you and all of your information and your classes and all that good stuff? Okay. Um, well, the best place to find me is on the website, foragerchick.com. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's the same, just foragerchick. On uh, Facebook, I'm actually Bella Vista Farm, which is my farm name. So you can find me on there. And... I think those are all the main places. You'll get all my stuff on the website, though. They'll have my classes. You can sign up for the newsletter if you like. Um, Have the local classes and the online school. I have an online school, too. And if you want to order a book or any of my products, um, that's on the website as well. Okay. Awesome. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. most legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment i'm will cooper host of HuntStand's make your mark podcast for even more content be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand presents on the waypoint tv channel every tuesday at 10 p.m eastern visit waypointtv.com to learn more